This CIO Talk Radio Viewpoint is brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio Viewpoints, and here is your host, Sunjog All. Welcome, listeners. This is uh, Sanjog All, your host, and uh, the topic for today's conversation is e-discovery, best practices, and trends. And I have with me Vivian Tero. Uh, Vivian is the Program Director for Governance, Risk, and Compliance Infrastructure Service with IDC. Hello, Vivian. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Sanjog. Thank you for having me, and good afternoon to everyone. Good afternoon to you. So, uh, the life and your work, how is that going? Um, it's been going very well. It's very busy. Um, it's summertime, so we try to get out as much as we can after work, of course. <laughs> great, great. So <laughs> as you know, the, the topic that we picked up today, e-discovery best practices and trends, uh, basically what we are trying to do is to identify what is e-discovery's value proposition and what are the organizations doing to make the most use of this uh, phenomena and or this, uh, uh, this approach to handling litigations effectively. Now, the first question I'll have for you here is that what are the most pressing e-discovery issues for enterprises? Where do you think they struggle the most? Um, so, so I guess let me set the context first. Like e-discovery is a process, um, and it requires you know close collaboration between the litigant and in this case, let's talk about you know corporate litigants, um, specifically their in-house counsel who take the lead from the side of the, the corporate litigant, as well as the outside counsel or you know their batteries of outside counsels to help them figure out how to best address. Um, a litigation event. So when we look at the process of e-discovery, um, it's not necessarily going to be something that's coming that's coming out of the plaintiff bar. Um, e-discovery also takes place when you have um, a request for information from any regulatory agency. So all these SEC investigations, for example, they are considered litigation events. And in many instances, companies have to put in place a process for e-discovery. Now, with regards to challenges, um, the challenges for a lot of companies stems from the fact that um, if you're a serial litigant, they face a lot of you know, requests for information and complaints from the plaintiff bar um, over a short period of time. And so for them, it's managing that process, uh, managing the deluge of data and information, because I've heard a lot of lawyers refer to finding the relevant information in e-discovery as trying to find a needle in a haystack. They've got a very specific amount of time wherein they, can res- they have to respond to the event, but in order to respond properly, in order to the de- determine the appropriate legal response to an event, they need to understand what's going on. But in order to understand what's going on, they need to find the right individuals and the right information who can point them so that they can properly assess the risk as well as the merits of a specific case. So would you say in an enterprise, they are basically banking too much on law firms and or any outside parties to be able to help with the discovery? And are there any specific areas they feel that they're struggling the most? Um, so the old model for e-discovery was having the outside law firms taking the lead in terms of crafting together the strategy and the strategy not just for e-discovery, uh, and, and but also with the data management process around it, um, which is you know finding the information, and because that's where most of their challenges are these days, they get so bogged down 
in the minutia about finding the information that in many instances, they have no more time to actually understand and assess the information so that they can respond accordingly. Um, that has changed. It's changed a lot because um, the 2006 amendments to the federal rules of civil procedure came into place and it clearly defined what is ESI, what is discoverable, what is undiscoverable. It basically sets a lot of the ground rules in terms of how corporations are supposed to, litigant corporations are supposed to engage with each other. So, and increasingly, because of the traditional model wherein, wherein where they farmed out everything to an outside law firm or to a third-party service provider was very expensive. The pricing models was all based on um, per gigabyte and uh, time and materials. Um, in many instances, when they had to do a discovery, especially if they're doing serial discovery, they may be looking at the same sort of data or a subset of the sort of data. So a lot of these corporations started to figure out, you know what? Let's see if there are some efficiencies that we can adopt. So in many instances, you know, they've started putting together some processes in place to how to best handle the data management aspect, how to best handle the litigation response, the legal hold activities that they need to do. And in doing that, um, they've started taking control of the e-discovery process. And so I'm sure you've heard about how over the last three or four years, because um, the corporate counsel's office also have limited budgets. And so the pricing models, you know, how they negotiate with their outside law firms and their third-party litigation support um, service providers, they've, they've changed. And so you hear a lot about these um, alternative pricing or fixed pricing arrangements. And in many instances, if a company really wants to take control of discovery, one of their primary motivation is also to make sure that regardless of where the case is located, they want to have a they'd have to have some sort of standardized response so a good example would be and obviously I can't mention the names of these, some of these organizations let's take this very this insurance company so when I spoke to their corporate counsel's office they basically said they've put together a process in place for certain types of cases so if you're an insurance company also obviously you've got different kinds of insurance claims for example and different kinds of litigation so they wanted to be sure that if there's a specific claim was filed in um, the Midwest, for example. They had a process, the process that they, they used to respond to those claims was similar if that case was also filed by a, a different individual, let's say in Seattle or in some other part of the country. Because I guess before they had these standardized processes and protocols in place, there was no consistency in terms of how they would respond to some of these standard claims. So that was one of the things that they wanted. Um, in many cases, there are companies that have very, um, because they're serial litigants, they have to have um, they deal with a lot of um, matters consistently, some very, very complex matters where they have to work with multiple um, outside law firms. But at the same time, they have their own internal processes. And so managing uh, multiple outside law firms, managing their own activity, internal activities in place, they wanted, again, to have some standardized process in place because it's, it's a coordination effort. And having policies and processes in place allows them to do that. So what they do is they start um, working with perhaps 
three, four, five trusted outside counsel and trusted third-party service providers, and they come to some sort of arrangement. And, and, and the arrangement really comes to you know uh, having these trusted advisors become very familiar with the information infrastructure, for example, of a specific organization. And this is pretty common with a lot of these um, you know, very large, very serial litigants. What they typically do is if they have already identified the top five outside law firms and the top five service providers that they would work with, there's usually, um, for, the, for the outside lawyers, there's usually probably one or two attorneys that are assigned to work very closely with the client to understand that client's information management infrastructure, their practices, their policies, so that whenever there's a discovery event, um, they know exactly how to work with the team in terms of crafting together an e-discovery response. And in terms of crafting those policies and practices, it's consistent regardless of um, which law firm they would use. All right. So now what are the top e-discovery technology trends that you find? In terms of the technology trends, um, I think the hot topic right now is what is known as computer-assisted technology review, which is actually large-scale review, or in some cases, they call it predictive coding. And there are, there are many approaches to it, but in, without getting too technical about it, what they're really trying to do is they're trying... Because as I mentioned before, um, let me set the context for this. Um, in the past, it was pretty common for organizations to have average collections per matter of maybe 100, 200 gigabytes. Um, over the last two or three years, I've seen a huge jump in the number of corporations who say that their average collection of raw data uh, per matter was more than 2.5 terabytes. So from 100 to 150 to 2.5 terabytes, that's a pretty big jump. And so it becomes economically unsustainable to have a large battery of reviewers go through that data, um, especially at a very, very short amount of time. And so there are these technologies in place that enable these organizations to do the analysis, do the data mining, understand relationships, and do so consistently and defensively. And so this is the intent of so, you know, what they call this predictive coding technology. So at the end of the day, what this coding technology tries to do is it uses machine learning, it uses clustering, so that once they have built out or understood how, we would say, um, a subject matter expert would review a particular matter, the machine learns from that so that going forward, once, you know, once they've taken out, built out the model using the sample, the samples um, set from the documents, and they've developed a... Um, enough confidence in the algorithms and in the predictive code to apply that to the entire corpus, that's when the machine comes in. So basically, they're saying that instead of having 100 lawyers review 2.5 terabytes of data, what they would do is pay, perhaps get a subset, maybe 1%, 2%, 5% of the sample from the 2.5 terabyte of data, have the right experts review and code it and see if, and then program use the predictive coding technologies to model the decisions 
the subject matter experts, the human reviewers, and in doing and then tweak it because it's you know it's machine learning, so it becomes more intelligent as the samples become more sophisticated. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. All right. Take control of e-discovery with flexible, integrated solutions designed for early data assessment, processing, document review, and litigation presentation. LexisNexis offers comprehensive solutions that work together as well as with other industry-leading tools to help you maintain a seamless chain of custody throughout discovery. Most of these solutions can be offered in a hosted environment with access to fully customizable support resources dedicated to your success. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio Viewpoint. Welcome back, Vivian. So what are the standard best practices that are established for e-discovery and that enterprises uh, can adopt today? So there's three things that basically a, a serial litigant should have in place. First of all, they should have an information governance program in place where the governance really covers all types of ESI and not just ESI, but also physical-based information as well. So your paper-based information, because in many instances, we find that companies do not have consistent information management practices between the physical as well as the digital version of the data. And when that happens, they could potentially get dinged on that when they're negotiating with the opposing party. The second thing that they need to have is they have to have a legal hold practice in place. And when it says legal hold, they shouldn't just keep everything forever. They should have a practice in place so that they also have a protocol to dispose of the data when it's no longer important because, you know, the matter has closed. And um, in many instances, we find companies who are over-preserving, but they don't really know that why, how much they're over-preserving because they haven't inventoried it. Or in many instances, there was no protocol in place on how to do preservation. It wasn't properly documented. And it, it becomes, it can, it's a potentially risky strategy for them because if they keep everything forever without having a proper disposition protocol, once the matter is closed, it opens up another, it could potentially open up another can of worms. The third thing is having, they need to have a legal hold response, an e-discovery response team in place as well. So a lot of these standards and protocols are really just some sort of protection for the company so that when they go and negotiate with the opposing party. They've got their ducks in a row. They know what issues they have. And it becomes easier for them, or at least they're in a better negotiating position when they start figuring out what is a discovery scope? What is a discovery strategy? Because it can get potentially expensive to the extent that they know as much as they can about where the data is, what the data is, whether it's relevant to the matter or not. They're in a much better position um, to negotiate the scope of discovery. Because in, in terms of the gotchas, in many instances, companies, they track the cost of discovery from collection to review uh, and analysis, but they don't really know how much it costs them to do the preservation. And in many instances, if they keep preserving a lot of data, their review costs are going to go up in addition to their preservation costs. Now, how well do you think solution providers, councils, and corporations are truly working together to address e-discovery effectively? 
So um, it's it's an it's an evolving um, issue, you know. Um, in many instances, for a lot of the serial litigants, um, they've started to develop these trusted rela- advisor relationships with their key outside counsel and their service providers. And so, um, for the most mature organizations, in many instances, um, the third party service provider really wor- and the outside counsel really helps working with them in planning out the standard, the best practice in, in many instances, helping them figure out what's the appropriate architecture, you know, what are the staffing levels required, those sort of things. It really varies for every organization because there's some organizations, they're very sophisticated. They've got a lot of in-house expertise, whereas there are some organizations that they don't really want to make that investment because they feel that based on their needs, maybe they just need to work very closely with another Uh, you know, with their outside counsel and with their trusted um, litigation support houses. So it it really varies. But at the end of the day, they're working closely. It's it's in a state of flux. If you notice, there's a lot of um, the definition of managed service for e-discovery has evolved to support different kinds of models. Finally, one last question. How do you see e-discovery challenges and solutions evolving over the next few years? So um, it will always be, technology will continue to evolve. Um, There's new applications that are going to be deployed in the organization. There's going to be new architecture models. And obviously, this impacts how data is managed, how data is going to be searched, going to be analyzed. And so in the near term, and I'm talking, you know, within the next 12 to maybe 24 months, if you look at what's going on in the technology environment, all these trends around bring your own device, mobility, cloud computing, big data, the developments around this um, will pose some discovery challenges for a lot of organizations. And, And the other thing I forgot to mention is the use of social platforms. So these new technologies present unique data management challenges. And so for a lot of organizations, they have to figure out, first of all, what's our information governance protocol so that we know what's the acceptable use for our employees and, you know, for our business partners. And then secondly, if they have to do discovery in these types of environments, in these types of applications, they have to figure out how do we address chain of custody? How do we address what's the right scope? And these sort of things, how do we address um, secure information sharing? So a lot of these emerging technologies, it presents opportunities for companies to improve their competitiveness, to have multiple touch points with their customers. But from a discovery standpoint, it also presents data management challenges for the organization and they need to plan for that. So for like nowadays, um, we found in our latest survey that only 33% of companies are actually have policies and programs in place to manage social platforms uh, like Facebook, LinkedIn, those sorts of, of applications, as well as corporate logs. So going forward, as they expand their commercial presence in these types of environments, they they have to have a program in place to address how do you do search, how do you collection, how do you do analysis um, in these types of environments. Thank you so much, Vivian, for sharing your thoughts and insights about e-discovery, best practices, and trends. It was a pleasure. And listeners, I invite you to find more conversations about e-discovery on our website at www.ciotalkradio.com slash e-discovery. Thank you for listening to CIO Talk Radio Viewpoints. 
for related programming, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. This CIO Talk Radio Viewpoint was brought to you by LexisNexis Litigation Solutions. 